Hello, welcome to The Limelight, a Castos Originals production. I'm your host, Craig Hewitt. Here each episode, we're chatting with podcasters who are doing interesting and innovative things with their shows in an effort to help us level up our podcasting game and improve our craft. Our goal with this podcast is to have it be one of the resources you go to to find out what's working and maybe even what's not in podcasting today to help you make a better show. And now, on with the podcast. Hello, welcome back to The Limelight. I'm your host, Craig Hewitt from Castos. On this episode, I have Amy Austin from A Time to Thrill. Amy, how's it going? <laughs> Hi, how are you? Great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So yeah, we'd love to to know about you and your podcast. I know a bit, but if for folks who are, are listening or watching, we'd love to, to kind of hear your backstory and, and kind of what you're up to in the podcasting world. So I have a podcast called A Time to Thrill, and it's basically long form conversations with women creators. And it's, I'm, I record so far ahead. I'm not sure. So I think there's about 35 episodes and I only do it once a month because it's, I have other things. I'm a writer. I'm an author. I've written about 27 books. So that is actually like my full-time job. So the podcasting is a thing I do. That's a huge amount of fun, but it's really interesting to bring introverted women authors and creators to the limelight. It's something that I really, really um, like about the podcast. I got to take a, a detour here and ask about like once a month podcasting, because, you know, we tell folks with, with our Castos production services, our consultancy is like every week, maybe every other week, don't do less than that. But, but you're breaking the mold there, right? So t- tell me about like how, how you found once a month podcasting in terms of like audience traction and listenership, like kind of retainment or retaining uh, and things like that. Like, how's that going? So it's fine, but my audience may be different than the traditional podcast audience. Most of my, well, I can't tell you who my audience is because obviously you don't get those statistics, but I have an author newsletter and I send out a notification when I have a new podcast. And there are a lot of listeners from that. And also the authors I have on also send notifications. So my listeners tend to be readers and readers are fairly voracious, but they will accept a delay in release because that's how books are. So if you love an author, you're certainly willing to accept once a year, twice a year as a release. You can't well, most authors can't produce at a greater rate. So I have a group of listeners who I think have built in an acceptance of a slower pace of production. Yeah. 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 That's super interesting. I'm honestly like never, never considered that demographic as like a consideration of, of how you podcast. I love it. I love it. You, a lot of your listeners are also a, a bit older, you believe at least, right? Like, does that come into play with like, how you podcast and the type of content you record and things you talk about and stuff like that? So it comes into play in a lot of arenas. So one of the things that we as authors know, at least in my genre, I write legal thrillers and also I used to write romance. So those are the primary authors I know, um, genre writers who are very fairly successful in write fairly rapidly, but like, this is like two books a year. So that said, we do know something about our readers. Our readers are generally older women who have time. So they have time and disposable income. But how can I say this? One of the things that they're also fairly tech savvy because they were early ebook adopters. So we're working with that demographic. I have no idea who the general podcasting demographic is because a lot of the people I know personally do not listen. So, but my readers are 
fairly tech savvy. I mean, they, they were like early ebook adopters. They get sideload Kindles and things like that. So they have phones and they have devices. So they do have a number of ways to do it, but I also make it easy. I put links and for people who have like say an Apple device, you just put a link to Apple or whatever. And it, it's one click. And also I do have it on the website. So I do have readers who've told me readers, listeners, excuse me, who click on the website and listen. And so it's fine. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. I mean, I think it's, it's important to know your your audience how they as much as we can, right? How they consume our content and then how we engage with them. It sounds like it sounds like you have that dialed in pretty well for for a really specific uh, group of folks, which which is cool. Like I, I think we don't often hear that from podcasters. Like a lot of times, it's a pretty diverse uh, group of people. So pretty cool that you are able to to niche down so much. But I think one of the, maybe one of the strengths of being an author for so long, especially a lot of, I came about in the early ebook era. And so we had a lot of information back then, less now about who, who these people are and what they do. But we've made a huge effort as authors to collect that information because it's what allows us to market well. Like if you're going to run a Facebook ad, you have to know who the target is. Yeah. Yeah. What are some ways that you do that? Things like website pixeling and email list collection and things like that? Or are there other tips and tricks that authors use? So that we, we do do that. Um, and, but we do, we, okay, we basically do come to advertising, but one of the, the primary advertising methods is basically Facebook ads. And the beauty of Facebook is that they have all the information about users. The horror of Facebook is they have all the information about users. So, <laughs> and it's, yeah. I mean, you can go in and pick people who like Kindle, who like this author, who read these many books. I mean, it's really, you can really niche down. So when you advertise to those people and they buy, because we have ways to track the links. I mean, there's Facebook pixels, a lot of ways to track that. Then you have a really, really good sense of who your audience is. Yeah. Interesting. And are you finding that like Facebook advertising is still something that works today? Because I mean, in, in our kind of software world, it was hot a few years ago and then it kind of cooled down just before the pandemic, maybe. It still works. You know, I was thinking we talk about it like, okay, I don't, we don't advertise in December because that's really expensive, but my customer sure. acquisition cost is maybe, I'm going to say, I can't say this out loud, between seven and 10 cents. Oh, wow. Amazing. And you're making a few bucks on the book, right? Yes, but you can, but people have read through. So say it's seven cents and then they buy a book for, you know, 99 cents, you'll make 70 cents. So you're still ahead. But if they buy 10 more books of yours, then you're well ahead. Right, right. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. I'd like to ask, like, how does uh, life and a profession as an author influence or help or hurt or affect your kind of journey as a podcaster? Like overlap and differences and things that carry over. It's actually overlapped a lot. So the first podcast I did, I can't, I thought about this this morning was maybe, oh, eight or nine years ago. I had a friend okay. who ran a reading salon. It's, it was called Lady Jane Salon. It was popular in New York and out here in Los Angeles. And she ran a salon. And one of the things she was like, maybe we should do a podcast where people are, because it was a reading salon. I mean, we went there, it was at a bar and we had drinks, but um, in order for a group, a bigger group of people to listen, we had a podcast. So maybe a year or two back in the, oh, geez, <laughs> like maybe 10 years ago, because at this point, I think so. Um, and, and I can see the time is dialing away. So that was the first podcast I did. And it gave me a lot of I learned a lot. I learned about recording quality. That was a huge issue, especially in a bar. I mean, there was, bar, I mean, I that was imagine. a problem, yeah. but I learned about recording quality. It was the first time we learned about like putting up a podcast and all of those things. So I had that knowledge 
previously. So when I decided to do this, that was not the barrier. It was sort of niching down and deciding what to do. Um, I think the reason the first three episodes are not available is because I was just all over the place before I figured out that I really love um, long-form conversations. So like my two favorite podcasts, well, they used to be Mark Maron, which I don't listen to as much anymore, and then The Honeydew with Ryan Sickler. But they have long-form podcasts with creative people. And I love that idea. But I have found that people don't do long-form with authors as much. It's sort of like... I, I live, I'm from a Charlie Rose sort of universe, and I was interested in bringing those kinds of people to light. And I have found it to be fascinating, enriching, and from the comments I get, people... So the thing about readers is that they sort of have a personal relationship with us, and they do email me regularly. So from the emails I get, which I know is not representative of the entire world, they do like those long-form conversations. They do like learning about authors and their backgrounds. And... Not separate from like the mechanics of writing or what it's like to sit down and write every day. They're more interested in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So like, as it pertains to like the journey and long form content, like what is, what does long form mean to you? Like we're talking an hour, two hours kind of interviews or, or like 30 minutes. It depends. I don't know. Right. So my goal is to keep it down to an hour. I'm very poor at that because I'm very talkative and I have... I find people utterly fascinating and like at the beginning of everything, I'm like, let's chat. I have so many questions and the people open this sort of universe to you of their life. And you're like, I have so many questions. So I have an interview coming out. They come out once a month on the first. So April 1st, which is Friday or Saturday. I'm not sure. And the, I'm interviewing an author. Um, she's a USA Today bestselling author. Her name is Blair Babylon. There are two things I find utterly fascinating. One, she went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is where literary writers are born. But she has made her career in writing genre romance. Like she writes billionaire heroes. So that's like one departure. And then after Iowa Writers, she was a little disillusioned, let's say, about that mm. process. And she went, <laughs> I know, she went to get a PhD in microbiology and virology. She was like, I'm out. And she did that. But what she found, and, and I don't want to like put this all on her, but what a lot of authors I know have found is that while you can have like successful careers, the pay is, it's better than most, but it's not as good as romance can be. And the hours are sort of crushing. And a lot of the authors I know are mothers. So being an author allows you to earn for most of the people I know, like a comfortable six-figure income to work. I don't want to say part-time, but you can move your hours around childcare, family issues, things like that, and also be creative. Um, you can't do that working in a lab. You can't, you know, the CDC is not going to allow you to do that. You can't do that being a doctor. You can't do that being an attorney. So most people I know have made that shift, including myself. I used to practice law. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's like a commonality amongst most of your, the, the folks you interview on your show is like they come from, I'll say conventional high caliber roles, right? Or, or positions and, and to it being an author. Do you think it's because of that kind of lifestyle choice they want to make or... Is there burnout or, or is it is it something else that you think drives oh, folks to do that? It's a lot of issues. So I'll say this. So once, so we, well, actually, we just had a meeting. We usually have retreats like once or twice a year at a beach house or whatever. We didn't do it for two years for reasons. And I just had one in January. But several years ago, we were at this beach house, who knows, somewhere. And 
I was sitting in the room and I decided to ask what everybody's job had been beforehand. There were a lot of PhDs, a lot of lawyers, a lot, there's a lot of lawyers, a couple of doctors, and one um, who also I interviewed, whom I love. She's an airline pilot, but I don't know if you know about airline pilots, but they can't work every day for a whole host of reasons. She flies right. long haul flights. Um, so if she's flying 15 hours to Melbourne, she's not working every day. So she writes around that. But I don't know if it's because they're high achievers, because they need more flexibility, or because they really enjoy a creative outlet than, that can support them, to mo- for most part, to a greater extent than that previous kind of job could. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Just logistically, like, how, how do you find to folks to interview for your show? Is it just like people within your network, other authors you know, or are there any things that you've kind of learned, best, best practices there? I, so personally, I thought about this as well today. I know a lot of people. So in my house, I'm a quiet extrovert who talks to no one. But when I do go to writers conferences, I guess I'm really chatty and really friendly. So I think 90% of the people I interviewed, I know personally, I've met with them, stayed in hotels with them, gone to conferences with them. And also the romance community is very welcoming and very large. So it's not hard at all to find people. I email a lot of the people I know, and then I sort of schedule them in. So that's kind of how I acquire them. Occasionally I get pitched by people, but that has not really worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Those, those most all go to the trash folder. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it a lot, but it's not, I don't know why it doesn't work well, but it has not. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Interesting. Cool. I'd love to to wrap up with just like one thing that you've learned, obviously a successful business and practice and, and community that you're building and then, and then podcast that, that goes along with it. But like, what's one thing that you would want to share with folks that, that either are new podcasters or have been doing it for a while, but want to up their game? Like what's, what's one thing you want to share? <laughs> a buy better equipment. I did replace everything after I listened to two of them and I was like, Oh, okay. So that's currently somewhere else. It's in my, actually my other house. But one of the things I think I've learned is to really um, engage with guests. So I think the thing I dislike most when I listen to podcasts is people who don't know anything about the guest and I know who the guest is. And then they have to sort of, I'm not saying you should, I mean, if the guest is fairly famous, they should know. But I think knowing who your guest is and knowing what is interesting about them really uh, helps the interview. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, I think especially these days, right here in 2023, like you can't just, you can't just hop on and say, tell me your story and and think that's a good (laughs) podcast. Because there's just a million out there that are amazing and folks do a ton of research. So uh, yeah, totally hear you. and, And we all need to up our game there, I think. Absolutely. Amy, where's the best place for folks to find out more about you and connect and check out the podcast and everything? I'm at amyaustin.com everywhere. I'm legal thriller author as my handle. You gotta love that. Um, so it's Amy, A-M-I-E, Austin spelled with an I. And I am everywhere <laughs> because I learned as an author, you have to be everywhere. But I'm primarily on Instagram, to be frank. Awesome. Amy Austin from A Time to Thrill. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Limelight. If you're enjoying this show, check out our other podcasts we have in the Castos Originals Network at castos.com slash podcasts. We'll see you next week.